welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we come before you with with happy hearts, Lord. We come to you not just because this is a a fun season, a season of, of joy and happiness and family, Lord, but because you are a God of grace. You are a God who has bestowed all sorts of wonderful things upon us. And we just want to say thank you. This morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us thankful hearts. One of the things in Romans 1 that it talks about is, a, is a, an aspect of rebellion against you is that we do not give you thanks. And Lord, we want that corrected in us. We want to be thankful, joyful people. We want to be people that glorify you by pointing out all the things that you have done both in us and in those we know and in the world. Lord, as we uh, prepare for Advent next week and in the build-up towards Christmas, Lord, we just want to thank you for being a God who is faithful, faithful to your promise, faithful to the promise you made even from the beginning of Scripture to send a Messiah to do what we couldn't do, to save us, to pay the full penalty of our sin, and to bring us home to you. And we're super thankful for that, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, make our hearts good soil for your word this morning. Make us receptive. Make us enjoy your word. Give us uh, taste buds for you and who you are. And we pray, Lord, that we would savor you to your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought it'd be good for us to talk a little bit about thankfulness. We've been in a series in James, and uh, next week we're going to start our Advent series. And so I thought this would be a good time to talk about the practice of Thanksgiving. And our culture knows that Thanksgiving is a good thing. Our culture knows that gratitude is an important part of being a happy, healthy human being. You see lately that there's a real emphasis on things like gratitude journals. I don't know if you guys have seen this kind of theme, but a journal where every day you write what you're thankful for. It's a mental health practice um, that people do because they know that gratitude is a close cousin of joy. And the more grateful we are, the more joyful we'll be. Um, But our culture has also made thankfulness a little tricky. And maybe you guys have experienced this, but um, gratitude and thankfulness have been made a little tricky. One way is by comparison. And we know that comparison is a thief of joy. It always has been. We know it's a thief of gratitude. But we live in an age where we actually can compare our lives to hundreds of people an hour now through technology, you know, through social media. And that's had a really strong negative mental health effect on people, right? It's, it's made people way less joyful, way less happy because there's this comparison thing. And that can damage our ability to be thankful as we compare our lives to other people. And we're, of course, comparing their greatest hits to our worst, you know, parts of our lives. And as we do that, we become less and less grateful. But a more serious way that our culture has hindered our ability to be thankful is by trying to remove the giver from our lives. Okay? So our culture is increasingly secular culture. and, And it will leave the question of, who do we thank? You know, this is Thanksgiving, who are we thanking? And in a mindset where God's been removed, it becomes kind of a weird, awkward holiday, right? Because you can think, who am I thankful for? I could be thankful to you guys. I could be thankful to people in my family for things they do for me. But who do I think for their existence? Who do I think for the kind of person they are? Who do I think for my existence? Who do I think that I live in this time and place of insane prosperity? Right? Who do I think for that? Who do I think for things like the smell of rain, who do I thank for the feeling of sun on my skin? Who do I thank for my beating heart? You ever thought about your hearts? That ever since you were embryonic, your heart has been beating? 
tirelessly all that time? It's kind of creepy when you start to think about that you're dependent on this muscle not quitting, right? Who do I have to thank for my heart beating? Who do I have to thank for coffee? Who do I have to thank for colors? Who do I have to thank for music? Who do I have to thank for satisfying work and books and coffee? (laughs) Who do I have to thank for these things? I can't thank you for these things. And so Thanksgiving becomes this weird, awkward holiday where we've removed the ultimate giver. And it might be part of the reason why we're starting to turn this holiday into a shopping holiday. It's as if people are sitting around at Thanksgiving and they're like, who do we thank for all this? And the other guy goes, I don't know, you want to go shopping? You know, like this mad dash of consumerism after we just said we're so content with everything we have, right? So strange. Well, what we have in 1 Corinthians 1 that Ross just read is we have an example of how to be thankful to God and how to be thankful to God even for very imperfect people. Take a look at it again, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Notice two things there. His thankfulness isn't really actually to them, it's to God, and he's being thankful for very flawed people. Now, if you've never read 1 Corinthians before, what you may not know from this greeting, but what you know from the rest of the letter, is that these are super messed up people, okay? This is a super messed up church. I think, you know, all of us have messed up church things that we've been involved in. This is pretty severe, though. I mean, they had severe doctrinal errors, denying the resurrection, for example. Um, they had divisions. They had, were ignoring immorality in their body. They were suing each other right? They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were misusing the gifts. And on top of all this, they were becoming more and more estranged to Paul, which is super sad because Paul spent an enormous amount of time with them. He planted that church. He taught them. He probably had very deep relationships with these people. And now they're less and less interested in hearing from him. And yet, in response to all this, Paul opens his letter this way, I give thanks to my God always for you. And you're like, really? Always? For these people? It's strange, right? How can Paul be so thankful for a church of messed up people? Guys, this is a more important question than you think. Because this is a vital thing for all of your relationships. If you're not able to be super thankful to God for people that are deeply flawed, it's going to really hinder your ability to be grateful. It's going to really hinder your ability to be thankful. It's going to really hinder your ability to glorify God. Because every single human being will let you down. And so what Paul does here is really important because there's a lot of Christians, guys, a lot of us that have become bitter and angry and resentful and disappointed. But then there's people like Paul, Christians like Paul, that can say, I give thanks for you guys always. Even before he's going to correct all this stuff, he can say that. It's amazing, guys. How does he do it? He does it by having a divine perspective. Like, Look at verse 4 again. I give thanks to my God always for you. What's the next word? Because of the grace of God that was given to you. Paul actually looks at them, and he sees the mess. I mean, he's not denying the mess. But he sees in every one of them the grace of God. And so he wants to highlight that here in the beginning. He's going to highlight the places where God is at work in them. And there's three types of grace I want to talk about here. One of them is past grace, one's present grace, and one's future grace. First, past grace. Do you see the past grace? In verse 2, verse two, Paul says that they were called to be saints. In verse 9, it says that they were called into fellowship with the Son. 
You can be thankful for every true Christian in your life, no matter how flawed they are, because of God, they're a miracle of God's past grace. I don't know if we look at other believers this way like we should, that they are miracles of God's past grace. They've been called by God. Um, every Christian um, is a Christian because they've called to Jesus, called on Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. But what you find when you do that is you find that it's because God called you first. You remember what Jesus said? He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So we call upon Jesus, but then we find out it's because God already called upon us. If you're a Christian today, guys, it's because God called you. And God called you out of a, a, a restless sinfulness. I'm, right now I'm going through uh, St. Augustine's Confessions. as a, Peter Kreff has his commentary on it, so I'm just kind of going through it. And one of the most important sentences ever written outside the Bible is this sentence. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. So our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You guys have heard that sentence before. It's one of the most important sentences ever written outside the Bible. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. So our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts, apart from God, are restless hearts. And we're constantly trying to fill this, this God-sized hole in our lives with all kinds of things. And we, you guys have all tried it, so you guys could tell me what you tried to fill it with. But we've all tried to cram things in there to take out the emptiness. And we tried cramming in accomplishments. And so you get degrees, and you get promotions, and you get, you know, move up the ladder and things like that. And you think, oh man, if I get to this spot, I'm going to get to the top of the mountain, it's going to be awesome. And those of you that got to the top of the mountain, what did you find? There's nothing up there. And so you look for the next mountain, and if you can't find that, you try cramming it with things like purchases. You know, I can, I can Amazon all day, try and fill that hole. It will not get filled. Packages can arrive every day, and the hole is not filled. Um, approval. We look for approval from people that are important to us. We're trying to cram it in that hole. You've got a hole. The reason you're restless, if you don't know Jesus, is because you've got this great big God-sized hole, and you've been trying to cram all kinds of different things into it. And if you haven't been doing that, you just distract yourself. We live in an age of distraction. I'll just numb myself with distraction, or I'll just medicate it with substances. And then God calls us out of that. He calls us to himself. And you might say, if you've been recently called by God or... Maybe a long time ago, you might be like, why me? Why would he call me? In Titus 3, it says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, listen to this, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. The answer is that he called you because of his grace. That's the reason he called you. And you're like, well, that's not really an answer. It's the answer we got. He called you by grace. And the way that he called you is by irresistibly regenerating you. The Holy Spirit, at one point in your life, you were trying to cram all this stuff into this God-sized hole. And then God awakened you through regeneration to see the beauty of Jesus. Augustine again said this about his conversion. He said, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I once so feared to lose. You guys relate to that? that? That God opened your eyes to the beauty of Jesus, and all of a sudden you were fine with losing all those fruitless joys that you used to hold on to. I'd follow Jesus, but I really need this, or I really need that. And all of a sudden you were like, I don't need this. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once so feared to lose. And he says to God, you drove them from me. 
You who are true, sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place. You, O Lord, who are sweeter than all pleasure. That's what it means to be called by God. And every single believer here, every single Christian has been called by God. Several of you guys this year, which is amazing. We had multiple people that got called this year to himself. And it's like, and if you've experienced this, you, you'll know that it's like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You were spiritually dead. And at one point, God called you forth from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so what I want you to do when you think of every Christian in this room, no matter how flawed, or every Christian in your family, or every Christian in your you know, extended friend network, I want you to think of them as resurrections. They're resurrections. They're miracles of God's call. And we should value them like that. So be thankful for past grace. And Paul does. He goes, you guys are called. Like he's rejoicing in past grace because he knows he needs to correct them. And it's important anytime you correct somebody that you need to have both affection for them and hope for them. If you're correcting somebody you don't have affection or hope for them, it's going to go really poorly. So Paul's rehearsing this to go like, oh, you are a miracle of God's past grace. Secondly, give thanks for God's present grace. Take a look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace God has given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and knowledge and even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. What's great here is that Paul starts off this letter not by pointing out their deficiencies, but God's activity. And so he's looking out and he's going, God is, is right now doing many, many things in your life. He points out the grace that's in their lives. And what's interesting is the things he picks to go, you know, God's doing this and God's doing that and God's doing this. Some of those are things he has to correct. Did you notice that? He brings up their gifts their knowledge and their speech, which are, if you've read 1 Corinthians, are some of the areas they are abusing things. But he says, even though there's severe problems here, there's still, it, it's undeniable that God is at work in your life. Um, notice here, guys, that Paul's affirmation of them, because this is an affirmation, takes the form of thankfulness to God. So he doesn't just say, hey, good job. Hey, I really like what you're doing there. What does he do? He's thanking God with them hearing it. Isn't that cool? It's a different way of thinking about affirmation. So if I'm going to thank God for Jacob here, one, the best way I could do it is to be thankful to God for what he's doing in his life where Jacob can hear it. You know, just like you would in prayer. Lord, thank you for Jacob. Thank you for the way you've been working in his life past few months. The evidence is a grace that are there. I could do it in prayer, and I should, but I could do it to his face, which would be even better. Because what happens when that happens is God gets the glory and he gets encouraged. What kind of affirmation do you want most? I mean, if you're a believer, the best thing anyone could tell you is that they see God at work in your life. Because we don't see it, right? It's super helpful. And so biblical affirmation, guys, is telling others how you're thankful for God's work in their lives. And biblical affirmation, guys, is something we do not do enough. I mean, I don't think any of us do this enough. Parents, we don't do this enough. Spouses, we don't do this enough. Friends, church members, we do not often enough highlight the, the, what God's doing. Um, biblical affirmation, guys, is wise. Biblical affirmation gives you a hearing. Part of the reason Paul's doing this is he needs to correct them. He's gaining a hearing by telling them what God's doing in their lives. Um, some of us, if, if you're a parent, could relate to this example. Imagine a teenage kid comes home from school, comes in the door, parents say, don't throw your jacket there. Next thing they say is, clean your room. Did you get that assignment done? Did you get that grade up? What's happened there? He came in the door and he got three or four critiques, corrections, no affirmation. 
Okay, this is a problem, guys, because what will happen is over time, he's not going to want to hear anything from that voice, right? Um, in this book, Practicing Affirmation, um, Sam Crabtree, he talks about this passage and stuff, and he talks about affirmation like putting deposits in a bank account. So every time you affirm somebody biblically, you're putting a deposit in the bank account of that relationship, and every time you critique them, you're writing a check, okay? Now, you might want to think about your relationships, think about like, you overdrawn? You bouncing checks? <laughs> That's what's happening with that kid, right? Very few deposits have been made. Many checks written. Pretty soon, he don't want your checks. I own my own business. Somebody bounces checks. I'm not really eager to go there. Not really eager to receive the checks. They're no good. Why? Not enough deposits. So what we want to do in our relationships, guys, is affirm as much as we possibly can. We will need to correct people. Paul corrects people. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a, almost every chapter. I mean, this chapter doesn't even end. I didn't Verse 10, correction, right? There's real corrections here. There's real checks being written, but the affirmation is super important. Every believer you know needs to hear this. Affirmation, guys, is encouraging. I mean, sanctification change in Christ is slow. Is it slow? How many of you guys would like your sanctification to be going faster? How many of you guys? Okay, so would the rest of us, okay? We would like your sanctification to be going faster too. The person you live with would love that, Right? We feel it painfully, and so it's so helpful, guys, to hear how God's at work in your life. So every believer needs to hear how God is at work in their life. You can't really overdo this because it's praise to God, okay? Affirmation also, guys, it trains your heart in a practice of praise, and this is super important, guys. C.S. Lewis said that praise is inner health made audible. You want to train your heart to praise God, and this is a way of praising God. Biblical affirmation is what you were made to do. You guys were made for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 6 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone whom I've called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, whom I've made. You were made, every one of you, every one of you humans, everyone that's a human here. You all humans? Okay. Every one of you humans was made to glorify God. Okay? Isaiah 43 says that. That you were made like a little mirror that's to reflect the glory and character and beauty of God out to the world. No pressure, but that's what you were made to do. Your life was made to be a reflector of God's goodness and glory and grace. And we glorify God when we do that, but we also glorify God when that character and beauty and glory is being beamed out to us through someone else's life, and we notice it, and we commend it. We commend God's character in somebody else. That glorifies God. And so God gets glorified. A person gets encouraged. This is a win-win Maybe three or four wins. I don't know. It's a lot of wins. Like, this is something that you were made to do. And so when you're thinking about affirmation, think about verses 4 through 7. That's the best example would be to um, call attention to God's work in someone else. You might have objections, and I've thought of a few. One of them might be, these people are messed up, okay? Like, people in this church, people in my family, Christians I know, I can't do this with them. They're messed up. My response would be, like the Corinthians? Probably not, right? Like, most likely, probably not as bad as the Corinthians. You can do this, guys. Paul is giving an example how to do this for very flawed people. We should do that even in the midst of flaws. You might say, well, what if that other person isn't a believer? Can I still affirm them in a way that would glorify God? And this is an important question because Thanksgiving, and we have people in our family sometimes that aren't believers that we're meeting up with. Or maybe you have a, a child that's not a believer, or maybe you have a, a, a friend that's not a believer, or a parent. 
Um, can we uh, affirm them in a way that glorifies God? And we can, guys. And we can because even non-Christians reflect God's image, right? Even non-Christians reflect his image. It's called common grace. And so common grace is the idea that God blesses people that are even in re- rejecting him, okay? And one of the ways he does it is sometimes by decorating even non-Christians with the beauty of his character. Anything praiseworthy in another person had to come ultimately from God. doesn't mean they're saved, but it doesn't mean that God's grace is shown in their lives and making them better than you would expect for not knowing the Lord. Anything praiseworthy comes ultimately from God. It's a gift from him. And so we can say about people in our lives that aren't believers, I give thanks to my God always for you. And some of you guys probably should do that. That would be very helpful for you to do. And tell them how you're thankful for the ways that God is reflected in their lives. You know, and you can do this and also tell them, you know, hey, you need to know Jesus and you're not right with him without Christ. I mean, you're not telling them they're saved. You're not telling them they're right with God. What you are saying is that I'm thankful for your generosity. I'm thankful the kind of parent you are. I'm thankful for the kind of child you are. I'm thankful for the love that I see in your life. And ultimately, that comes from God. It's the grace of God. You might say this, well, you don't understand, Eric. I'm just not the affirming type. And I would say, I know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's not very affirming. Here's a couple of things I'd say about if you're, if you're not, feel like you're not the affirming type. And some of us are like that. Some of us are like, cup half empty. Like, we're just like, we see all the problems. And so we need to actually train ourselves to see evidences of God's grace. This is common. This is a personality type thing. Guys, we can actually grow in this. We can train our eyes to see God's grace in other people and call it out. Like, that's something we can learn to do. You don't say, oh, I'm not that kind of person. You can become that kind of person. When I was in undergrad, before I went to vet school, I was really into reptiles. And a friend of mine, Dustin and I, we'd go out night driving out in the desert. And we'd look for reptiles. So apparently, so this is the thing. If you go in the spring or summer, drive down the road, you can actually find snakes and lizards and all kinds of stuff, like out on the road because they're warming up. And if you get them before they get run over, it's really cool. You can get yourself a new pet. And so anyway, we, the, the thing we really wanted to find were banded geckos. They're about this big. They're super cool little animals. And... Um, we had trained our eyes such that, like, we could be going 35, 40 miles an hour and see a lizard this big at night driving. Because our eyes were trained to it, right? Kind of as a side thing. One time, so you got to have a license to do this, fishing license, turns out. Turns out there are limits on how many you can get. We had one really good night, and we got pulled over by the fishing game. And they were, like, super aggressive to us. I had really long hair and stuff, so maybe they were scared. But they had me, like, put my hands on the hood, you know, and they're patting me down and all this over geckos. Okay, and I ended up in an El Centro courthouse a couple weeks later, and the guy in front of us went first. The guy was there for pot, which, by the way, is legal now, but gecko over the limit still isn't. Okay, so let's see what we're about in California. So I got like a $500 fine. The other guy was like, oh, get out of here. It's just pot, you know, and it's like gecko. Well, actually, the judge first, he goes, geckos, and the, and the, the bailiff was like, it's gecko. So this is illegal. You know, it was awesome. 500 bucks. So, but the point of the story is, is that you can train your eyes to see evidences of God's grace, just like we trained our eyes to be able to spot these little lizards at 40 miles an hour in the dark, in the desert, right? You can train your eyes to do that. You can become an expert at spotting and commending the works of God and others. And a couple of things I want to help you with that. First thing would be, look at the list of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at the list of gifts in Romans 12. Look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 
Really soak yourselves in those and then look around and, and name them. That's what it's about. It's like, wow, that was a great gift of mercy. You know, or, man, that was super encouraging. That's from the Lord. Thank you for that. I can tell God's really giving you a gift of encouragement. Or, you know, hey, that was gentleness, and I know that must have come from the Lord. Like, the Spirit's really working you. You see how it's done? You look at what God's works look like, and then you look at, for them in people, and then you tell them, you know? So you're not like, uh, you know, well, I don't want to tell them because I don't want them to get a big head. It's like, no, this is actually God's glory is at stake in this thing, right? And so look around and name them. And I just want to say to you guys, you guys actually are a super affirming church. See, there's me being affirming. Um, you guys actually are a super affirming church. I feel super affirmed, so this message isn't about affirm me more. I feel very affirmed. I think most likely, though, we probably need to spread it around to people that aren't up front, right? Affirm those in the body when you see them operating their gifts. That would be super helpful. And um, we probably need to bring it home, you know? We're probably less likely to affirm the people closest to us, Right? Um, we're going to go on vacation uh, after this. We're going to Zion, not the one in Israel, but the, the one in Utah. It'll be a long road trip. Um, but what I want to do is give them an assignment. And you guys could do this for your kids or if you're married or for friends or whatever, is give this assignment for the week of come up with some ways that you see evidences of God's grace in other people. And I got a slide here. And uh, the first two we already mentioned, but you can take a picture of this. That'll be Okay. And, um, and here's some, some evidences of grace. You can look for spiritual gifts in people. You can look for fruit of the Spirit in them. You can look for ways that God's encouraged you through them, right? That would be an evidence of God's grace in their life. And all these are like things I'm thanking God for in their presence, right? Ways that they're an example to you of how to follow Jesus, um, how their uh, friendship has blessed you, um, how you see them serving God's people. There's a lot. I mean, it's insane the amount of people serving in the body here every morning putting all these things together and doing children's ministry and all that. So affirming that. Look for specific ways that others have grown in character in the past months or years. Just like with your kids when they're growing, you don't see them growing and you mark them on the little doorway. Like it's very important for us to point out to other believers the amazing work God's done in the past months or years, right? You see how this glorifies God and encourages them? Um, let's see, we've got, uh, oh, eight is awesome. Show them how it's God's grace that they're honest about confessing their sin. I think when somebody confesses sin, one of the first things we need to say is, that's God at work. Is it is God at work. Especially if they didn't get caught. They just confessed it. It's amazing. Pointing out evidences of grace of how God has persevered them through ongoing sin issues they struggle with or suffering. It's so helpful to say, you know what? It's an evidence of God's amazing grace that you're still holding fast to Jesus. I've seen what you went through the past couple years, and only God could have gotten you this far. You know? Tell people stuff like that. Super helpful. Um, another thing you might, if you're thinking, well, I'm just not an affirming person, I would say one more thing, and I bring it to the gospel, which is realize that this way of looking at people is the way God looks at you if you're in Christ. You guys realize that? Some of us don't believe this about God. If you're in Christ, this is the way he looks at you, that in Christ, God is eager to delight in any grace in your life. He sees those things in your life that he's doing, and he loves to relish those. He loves to delight in those. Um, David McIntyre said this, like a miner, like a miner in a cave, like a, or in a mine, I guess, <laughs> like a miner whose trained eye can detect the glitter of the precious metal in the coarse grains of the rock, the Lord observes the rare but costly faith that lies embedded in our unbelief. 
Don't you love that? The image of God the Father looking at that rock, you're that rock, and finding the little glints of his grace in your life, the ways in which you're truly holding fast to him. Guys, if you're in Christ, your Father is easily pleased with you. Okay? Um, outside of Christ, totally different case. Without Christ, God is a judge that's impossible to appease. Isaiah says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We cannot in any way earn our salvation. We can't bring him anything that would make up for our sin. He's impossible to please as a judge by our works. But once we're in Christ, guys, he's our father and he's easily pleased. He's like a father who watches his kid walk for the first time. You know, when he's a new believer or you're trying to kind of learn how to walk in freedom from a particular sin, he's like a father that watches his kid walk. You guys have been there. You guys, even if you don't have kids, you've seen kids walk for the first time. And, you know, they let go of the sofa and they make a couple steps and then they, bam, they fall. What does the father say? You call that walking? No. What does he do? He goes, that was amazing. Let's go three steps. Right? That's the way, if you're in Christ, that's the Father's heart towards you, is that he rejoices in the works of his grace in your life. He is an expert at finding every hint to rejoice in. And I just say, if you find it hard to affirm others, you're kind of hard on other people, you're kind of one of these people that always look at the half empty, just think about, like, how are you thinking God treats you? Because you can only give grace to other people that you feel like you've received from him. And if you're in Christ, you've received so much more grace than you know. The gospel tells us that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, and yet at the same time, because we're in Christ, we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. You guys realize that about yourself? That in Jesus, you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope? So we should give thanks to God for past grace, present grace, and what, what's the next one? Future grace. You think, like, future grace? What's that? Take a look at verse 7. As you wait for the revealing, this is big, this is like, this is return of Christ, massive, amazing, big, okay? Take a look at verse 7. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second coming, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. Paul here, guys, is overwhelmingly thankful when he realizes that these, this flawed church, these flawed people, that God has this future grace for them, and that he is going to cause them to be sustained to the end guiltless. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. He looks at this mess of believers and he's like, you know what? God started this work. He's going to complete it. He will sustain you from the end. Why? God is faithful. Verse 9, right? Aren't you guys super thankful for that? Aren't you super thankful that your ultimate um, blamelessness before Christ when he returns is not due to your ability to stand? You guys thankful for that? I'm immensely thankful for that. If it was up to me, you'll say, you know, can you lose your salvation? I don't believe any true Christian can lose their salvation. If you could lose your salvation, I would have a long time ago, like instantly. Okay, here's your salvation. I'd be like, okay, oh, I dropped it. I mean, it would, I'm so weak. There's no way in my own strength that I'd be able to hang on to him, right? It's not going to happen. This truth is called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, and what it says is that God called you, like we talked about, and God will sustain you. God started your life in Christ, he will complete it. Philippians 1.6, the great passage. I'm sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, what? At the day of Jesus Christ. That he's going to complete his work in everyone that's truly trusting in him. And Paul thought of this day, and I love how Paul thought of this day, because 
he struggled with a lot of people, right? So some of these Corinthians, things got better. We find that from 2 Corinthians. Some of these Corinthians, things did not get better. There's a mixture in 2 Corinthians of like positive and negative. And the reason was, there were some people in the Corinthian church that Paul just got more and more estranged to. You know, he sent Timothy, and that didn't work, and then he shows up, and that didn't work, and he's writing this letter, and it's getting really sad. In 2 Corinthians 1.13, he says, I hope someday that you will fully understand us, even though you don't understand us now. And then listen to what he says. But on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we'll boast of you. Isn't that awesome? I, I don't know how you, you know, this, this is so important. Do you guys have other Christians in your life that you tried so hard to reconcile with, so hard to reconnect with, and it just gets more and more awkward and unresolved and distant? You had situations like that? You will. <laughs> the more people you get involved with in a deep level, in a deep discipleship way, the more people you're going to, things will end very awkwardly, right? And Paul had this situation, and God had used, has used you in the lives of people. Know this, guys, those people... Paul says, on the day of the Lord Jesus, you'll boast of them and they'll boast of you. Isn't that an awesome truth? That on the final day, this person that, you know, you had been a part of their development and stuff, but for whatever reason, you just can't reconnect with them. Then on the final day, they're going to go, you know what? You were a huge part of my life. And if it weren't for you, God's, what God did through you, I don't know where I'd be. Like they say that and you say like, you know, and you were a part of mine. You know, I'm going to boast of you and you're going to boast of me. Isn't that awesome? It's super helpful. The more that you're involved in ministry, the more you're going to have people that just, it just didn't go well, you know, for whatever reason. And there's no way to make it right. You tried, and, but on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast to them and they will boast to you. Guys, one more thing. I, can you imagine what it's going to be like, verse 7, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's the second coming, right? So the clouds split, sky opens, Jesus appears, right? The revealing of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 9 that when we're standing before him, we're going to stand before him how? If you're in Christ. Guiltless. Can you imagine what that feels like? Can you imagine what it will feel like to see with your own eyes the beauty and the glory and the holiness of your creator and then to realize that you also are beautiful and glorious and holy? Can you imagine what that would feel like? It's called glorification. That's what scripture calls it. It's glorified, right? We all want this, guys. Down in deep level, even if you're not a believer, you want beauty, you want glory, you want to be seen as in the right, and, and, and we all want approval from important people in our lives. But we all know down deep inside that, that we just don't measure up. And everybody carries that. They feel like they just don't measure up. And guys, that's a hint of a reality. Our sin has made us such that we're not even worthy to be in the presence of our own creator. You guys realize how big of a disaster that is? That God created you, and because of your sin, you're not worthy to even be in his presence. This is a big, I mean, talk about blowing it. This is the biggest disaster ever. But he says here that if you're in Christ, one day, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will appear in his presence guiltless, able to be in his presence. Can you imagine that? I, it's not too hard to imagine that, that seeing Christ will be wonderful, right? Because every wonderful thing we see in every other person or in every other place, a reflection of his infinite goodness, it's not hard to imagine that he's going to be wonderful to see. But what will it be like to really, for the first time in our lives, truly reflect his goodness perfectly? What's it going to feel like? It's what you were made for, guys. And, and what's it going to feel like to feel God's full pleasure as he looks at us? You're going to have pleasure looking at him. But in glorification, he's going to have a deep, satisfied pleasure looking at you because of Christ. 
Isn't that amazing? Thomas Manton said this, oh, listen to this, oh, the mutual delight between God and glorified souls. He's like, think of the mutual delight that will be between God and his glorified people. I mean, you guys know how it feels to get approval from someone you really care about. Parent approval feels awesome, right? Friend approval feels great. Teacher approval feels awesome. Boss approval is great. Imagine what it feels like to get creator approval, okay? Creator approval. I made you. I've known you since before you were born. I've crafted you. And you know what? I am completely thrilled with who you are. Imagine what that's going to feel like. And that's what we have in Jesus. Imagine the joy, guys, of knowing that your perfect holy creator is fully delighted with you. Zephaniah 3 says this, The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will, listen to this, God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Listen to this, God himself will exult over you with loud singing. He's going to sing over you. That's delight, right? That's mutual delight. That's wedding day joy, guys. So weddings are a picture of, mutual delight. Like, like Chad read earlier, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's the gift you have available in Jesus today. If you'll turn from your restless pursuit of happiness and everything else, trying to cram that hole full of all kinds of things, you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus for your forgiveness, then he will give you this. He will, he will not only wrap you in Jesus' perfect righteous life, so you now are wrapped in his perfect righteous life like a robe so that God sees you as righteous, but when he returns, he's going to complete the process and make everything inside holy. You won't just have Christ's righteousness upon you. You will be actually righteous, and this is all a gift of Jesus, guys, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, if you trust in him. This is what we were made for. God is faithful. God is faithful. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we are saved by God's faithfulness, not our own. That's what the Lord's Supper reminds us of. It reminds us that we're saved by the faithfulness of the Father. He was faithful through all those covenant promises he made through the Old Testament. He was faithful to send his Messiah. We're going to start talking about that next week during Advent. He was faithful to send that Messiah. The Son was faithful. He was faithful to do all the Father's will and be a faithful sacrifice for us. Take away all our sins so we could be wrapped in his righteousness. The Spirit has been faithful to sustain us to the end. The Lord's Supper, guys, also reminds us that we've been called, like it says in this passage, into true fellowship with Jesus. We've been called into fellowship with his Son. Communion is a time of true closeness, fellowship, with Jesus. That's why it's called communion. It's got a few different names. The Father actually gives us the Son through the Spirit. We feed on the real spiritual presence of Christ. And this is a way that God sustains us. We often think very lightly of this. We shouldn't. This is actually a way that God feeds us and sustains us to the end. He does it through all sorts of means, and this is one of them. If that's your hope, come forward and take the bread and the cup and be fed and refreshed on Christ is we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? God is faithful. God is faithful. He will do it. Let's, let's stand and let's praise him for that. Father, we are thankful for your faithfulness. It's just amazing to think about salvation is all of you. But you've done it. You planned it in eternity past. You promised it throughout the Old Testament. You purchased it through Jesus. You applied it to our lives when you called us to yourself. 
You're giving all kinds of gifts of it even now. And then you're going to wrap this whole thing up by sending your son to come back for us and make the world new and make us finally the people we should be, people that reflect the beauty of your son. Lord, what an amazing gift. Lord, help us to treasure that. Help us to treasure you as we ought. As we take the Lord's Supper, we pray that you would feed us. If you've fed us already through your word, we pray that you'd feed us through this table. As you send us out this week, and whatever we have to do, whether it's work or um, vacation or whatever we're doing, Lord, we, we pray that we would bring this great news to people that are restless. Their hearts are restless. Lord, people that are just doing whatever they can to try and fill a void that could only be filled by you. And we pray, Lord, that we would have compassion and love and generosity and that we'd speak. Lord, we pray for any maybe problematic family gatherings that we have, concerns we have about seeing family that there may be issues. Lord, we pray that you'd make us peacemakers. We pray that you'd make us those who bring gratitude and joy with us and encouragement. And Lord, we pray ultimately for the, for the salvation of our family and friends and co-workers. Lord, make us instruments of your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.